When I was in fifth grade, I got in a fight at recess over a spirited game of kickball. And I don't remember who started it, but uh, I just remember that we both knew that we were in big trouble. Mr. Neal, who was our teacher in fifth grade, saw the whole thing from a distance. And he called us into the classroom there with these two scared little boys. And Mr. Neal was just a mountain of a man. And he held our future in his hands. He he could give us after school detention, which I had never gotten in my life. He could could have sent us to the office and, and gotten us suspended for fighting. And in that moment, though, Mr. Neal talked to us about controlling our emotions. He talked to us about what it means to be a real man. And he made us swear to never, ever, ever fight again. And then he let us go. And that's when I learned what it meant for someone to be for you. That didn't mean he approved of everything that I did. He certainly didn't approve of our behavior on the playground that day. That didn't mean that uh, he gave us a pass and we could just kind of do whatever. And that didn't mean that we weren't going to get in big trouble if we ever did. But it meant that he was for our future, that he wanted what was best for us, that he wanted us to prosper, that he didn't want one mistake to define our middle school years. He was for us. And I want to tell you, from that moment on, you couldn't tell me anything bad about Mr. Neal because I knew that he was someone who was on my side. Hey, good morning. My name is Carter McKinnis. I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop, and it is such a joy to share with you this morning. And and today I want to talk about what it means to be for someone, about what it means to put others before yourselves. And, and today I'm going to talk about why this concept is more important than ever before. We're, we're going to discover something by the end of our time today that's, that's kind of this truth. The world needs a church that wants something for them and not from them. The world needs a church who knows that it's on their side and not against them, who knows that it is for them and wants something for them and not from them. Today we're finishing up this series on 30 years of ministry at Mountaintop. We were founded in 1992 and uh, 2022 is our 30th anniversary. It's actually June 92 was when we were founded. So it's been such a such a joy to kind of celebrate that. We've seen so many faces. We invited back a lot of our former staff. Man, great to have Maggie back today, wasn't it? She was, wasn't that incredible? Man, just such a blessing. And, and, but you know what I was just thinking over this last three weeks as we've looked back in the past is just like all the amazing things that God has done and is doing now. And as great as it's been to just see old friends, I just want to just, and I'm not trying to embarrass you or like freak you out, but we believe God's been doing something. If you have come to Mountaintop since June 2020, that was about when we reopened. If you've come in the last two years since June 2020, would you just raise your hand? Because we just want to celebrate what God's doing in you. Look at all those hands raised. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? The 2010s were a time that this phrase and this slogan and this movement for Birmingham began. 
it, it was when this idea uh, started, and I want to talk about that today. The decade began, though, with uncertainty. Seven, year, seven days before 2010, on Christmas Eve 2009, our founding pastor, Bill Elder, had a stroke. And all of a sudden, the future looked murky. But in, the, in that incredible season, for the next two years, preachers preached, leaders led, volunteers stepped up to serve, and amazingly, against all odds, without a pastor over the next two years, Mountaintop continued to grow and reach people for Christ. In 2012, Doug Ferguson became senior pastor as the second pastor at Mountaintop, and it was in that season that leaders put language to something that Mountaintop had always been about anyway, that we were for Birmingham. Mountaintop had been founded on an idea that we were for people far from God, that we were a different kind of church for our city that we were the church for people who had never been to church, who had been hurt by church, who were unsure about church and skeptical about church. So we were going to continue to be a church for Birmingham to reach the people that were unreached and unchurched in our community. But what does it mean to be for Birmingham? Perhaps when you have seen this slogan on the TVs all across our campus, they could pretty much run 24-7, we always link it with a verse in Jeremiah 29. And I want to talk about that verse and the verses that surround it uh, and that come after it and see what that verse, that, that slogan, is it more than a slogan, means for us now. But first, let me tell you about who this guy, Jeremiah, is. He was a prophet of, of God. And he was called to prophecy in about 627 B.C., uh, 627, 626, somewhere around there. And unfortunately for Jeremiah, God mostly called him to prophesy bad news. That was kind of his role, and he just prophesied over. It was a time when the nation of Israel was not being obedient to God. They were not following his ways. They were worshiping other gods. They were breaking his law. They were turning their back on him. And Jeremiah's message to them was pretty much, listen, God is telling me that if you don't repent, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, if you don't turn back to God, he is going to hand you over to Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king of Babylon. And they're going to destroy you, and they're going to destroy this city, and they're going to destroy the temple, and they're going to destroy everything. And do you know how long Jeremiah preached this message? For 40 years. Bad news for 40 years. They got so tired of Jeremiah, they had him arrested. They didn't like thrown into a cistern so you could just yell out, right? I mean, they, they were so tired of hearing this negative message, but 40 years later, it finally came true. In 587 B.C., Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar invaded and ransacked Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. The city was reduced to rubble. And Nebuchadnezzar took the best and the brightest of the Israelites and had them exiled to Babylon. Babylon. 
Meaning, he literally took some of the brightest people in the community and, and put them in captivity and took them. You've heard of house arrest? They were in country arrest. They were exiled to Babylon, and they couldn't return to their homeland. They couldn't start rebuilding it. They couldn't learn. I mean, can you imagine? Jeremiah, though, was left in Israel. Actually, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon actually freed Jeremiah from being under arrest from the Israelites and allowed him to stay. So he's left in Israel with what is called a remnant, a small number of people who were kind of left to deal with their shattered country and live among the rubble and memories of what once was. But God was still calling Jeremiah to have a voice to, to those who had been taken into captivity and exiled in Babylon. But he wasn't the only voice. There were other prophets. There were false prophets among them that had been taken into captivity with them into exile. And these false prophets were telling them, listen, don't listen to the bad news. I, I, you need to fight back against Nebuchadnezzar. After all, you are God's chosen people. God is going to fight for you. God is on your side. You need to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and the evil Babylonians. These people are your enemies, and they're enemies of God, and you need to go after them. That's what all of these other prophets were telling them. And I'm reminded of something when I, when I hear their voice is that sometimes religious people tell us to be a foe to our community. Sometimes religious people, and sometimes churches and Christians have taken this posture, right? You, we are at war with the world. We are at war with the culture. We need to defeat the culture. We need to win over the enemies of the country, the, 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 it's, it, we can become convinced that we need to fight against our community, that we are a foe to the community. And God has such a different message for Israel through Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, guys, guys, you don't need to listen to all these people who are telling you to be a foe to the community. I mean, yeah, you've got an enemy but it's not them. For them, I want you to be for them. I don't want you to be a foe against them. I want you to be for them. So Jeremiah from Israel writes a letter to be delivered to the exiles in Babylon. And this is what it says. We're going to start in Jeremiah 29, chapter, verse, chapter 29, verse 4. If you don't have a Bible and you're in the room, take one at the bookshelves when you leave. We would love to give that to you. And if you're at home watching, we're honored to join you in your living room or back porch or wherever you are. And uh, if you want to turn in your app or wherever you're at there. Jeremiah 29, 4, this is how it starts off. It's just almost like a greeting, but it's really important. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel. So this is the text of the letter that Jeremiah sends them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried. That's an interesting phrase, and we're going to come back to that later. To the exiles, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is my message to you. What do you think he's going to say? What do you think he's going to say? You need to stand up for what you believe in over there. 
You need to make sure those Babylonians give you your religious liberties over there. You should protest something or hire some lobbyists. You need to get the Babylonian Congress to pass some legislation in your favor. You need to put some stickers on the back of your F-150 or your Prius, depending on which way you lean. Right? You, need to, you, need to, you need to start a, a new news channel because the Babylonians, they're not going to give you the right news. You need to start your own news channel, your cable news channel, so I can give you all the right news. You need to post all over social media that it's all the right-wingers' fault or it's all the left-wingers' fault. You think that's what he's going to say? He has a very different message for them. He says, no, 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 no. What you're going to need over there is a good general contractor. This is the next verse. Build houses. If you've got a GC buddy, you should call him. You should build houses. And settle down there. Plant gardens. Plan to stay a while. And eat what they produce. You could... Share what you produce with them and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. I want you to do what I told Adam and Eve to do. What is the original command? Just be fruitful and multiply. God says to Jeremiah, I have this radical message for you, this radical idea. I want you to build homes, to make a life. I, I want you to, I want you to produce things to, to give into the local economy, and I want you to eat what they produce. I want you to support the local economy. I want you to marry. I want you to have relationships. Here's my radical idea for you in Babylon. I would want you to be normal, just be normal in their world. I don't want you to set yourself up as separate from people who are far from God. I don't want you to look down on them just because they are different than you and they worship different gods than you. I want you to do life with them. And I know what you're thinking, guys. Oh, I just want to get out of this God-forsaken place, Babylon. But God wants to say to them, what if, what if my relationship with you isn't only about what I want to do in you, but what I want to do through you? You know, in church world, in my life, and on our staff team, we kind of live our lives by Sunday. Um, Kind of, if, you're, if you've ever been on a church staff, one of the things we just say is Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming. I don't know if you know this, but every seven days, Sunday comes. So it's always coming, so we're always planning and preparing for the next Sunday, the next Sunday, the next Sunday. And I, so I want you to know, I love Sundays. I love this. Holy smokes. I mean, just during Cornerstone, I just lost it today. I love worship. I love what happens in this room. I love it. I love it. I love it. But what if what God wants to do in Birmingham most for in, mostly for the next 30 years isn't about what happens in this room on Sunday, but what happens Monday through Saturdays in boardrooms and living rooms and classrooms all around our city? What if that's what God wants to do? What if instead of focusing on what God wants to do in us in this room, 
God wants to do something through us in those rooms. And then there's this verse that you, you see around here sometimes. This is the verse that we always link with for Birmingham when you see it on the screens, pre-service, post-service, around the TVs around campus. This is the verse. God's next thing to these says to them is he said, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which, and what does it say? Y'all didn't, let's, let's see, I know y'all can read. <laughs> to which I have carried you into exile. I told you we're going to keep coming back to that. Pray to the Lord <clears throat> for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That word, peace, prosperity, prosper, that you see in there, like over and over, in the original Hebrew, it's one word in there, and it's in that one verse three times. It's one of the most important words in the Hebrew, in the Jewish faith. Shalom. It's a word that means peace prosperity, welfare. It, it means completeness, content, contentedness. It is this idea of contentment in perfect relationship with God that when we have our relationship with God, when our hearts are aligned, that we have shalom with him and in him. And what Jeremiah is saying as God's mouthpiece is the shalom that you have in me and with me, I want you to bring shalom to Babylon. You are my instrument to bring peace, wholeness, completeness, shalom to a people who do not know me. Hey, Jeremiah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do, does God know that we're in Babylon and that these people are wicked people? Yeah, yep, he's heard that. Hey, Jeremiah, does God know that they, um, they worship a lot of really strange pagan gods and do all kind of sacrifices that, I mean, he has spoken against in the word, Jeremiah. Does he know that? Yep, been some conversation about that. Hey, Jeremiah, does he know that they are our enemies, that they destroyed the temple? Does he know? Yep, been a lot of talk about that in heaven. Yep, absolutely. Jeremiah, one more question. Sure, yeah. And he wants us to bless them and pray for them? Yep. In fact, with my letter, I've also sent a box of some new T-shirts that you guys can wear around town. <laughs> they say, for Babylon. Oh, for Babylon? No, we are, we are for Israel. We are for the Hebrews. We are for the temple. We are for the law. We are for the children of Abraham. Yeah, glad you mentioned Abraham. Because you remember when I started the nation of Israel through him, I told him that I was going to bless him so that he would be a blessing for all peoples. I need you to be a blessing for all the peoples in Babylon. I want to do something through you. And while you're doing it, would you trust that I'll do something in you? And I love this next verse because I feel like there's a missing line 
where they say, are you sure? I feel there's like, a, there's gotta be like a missing, there's like a missing text, a missing line, are you sure? Because the next verse answers that question. Yes, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't let those who are with you in there and they're, trying, they're telling you something very different from me. Don't listen to them. This is what God says. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. I know what you tell them. Hey, give us some good news. All Jeremiah gives us is bad news. You give us some good news. Don't listen to them. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them declares the Lord. Don't listen to them that are telling you that I want you to be, uh, they're saying you want to, you should fight back, that you should rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Don't listen to them when they tell you you should revolt and that if you're you're only going to be here about two years. Don't listen to this. I'm telling you, I want you to, I want this place to prosper. I want you to listen to me. I want, instead, I want you to invest a lifetime in this place. A lifetime, Jeremiah? This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. You, God says, you are my 70-year investment, my 70-year ministry plan for Babylon. You are what I want to do in that city, in that place. And it's easy to ask the question when we're, at, when we're always challenged to lay down our lives for others, it's easy to ask this question, well, what about me? What about my needs? You want me to give my life away for others? And frankly, this has been the spirit of the American church often, and the world feels it. They see a church that is power-hungry and selfish, and young people are leaving the faith like never before because it seems self-serving. We just want something from people. We want votes from people. We want leverage from people. We want money from people. But the world needs a church that wants something for them and not from them. The world needs a church that wants something for them and not from them. The world needs a church that is willing to give itself away. The world needs a church that is willing to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That is, that is willing to serve and not be served. That is willing to go the extra mile. That is willing to pray for our enemies. That is willing to wash feet. You know, a, a church that looks like Jesus. A church that looks like our Savior. And besides, our future... Our well-being, the answer to the question, what about me, it's not, a, it's not in our hands anyway. Because listen to the answer that God gives them in a verse that you have probably heard at graduations. <laughs> and maybe you even got a little plaque when you graduated. And it's often taken way out of context because this verse was written for a people who were just told that God was going to leave them in an exiled enemy territory for 70 years. 
And then God speaks through Jeremiah this famous verse. For I know the plans I have for you. I know something you don't know, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you even though it hurts now. Plans to give you hope even though 70 years seems pretty hopeless. Plans to give you a future even if you can't see that far in the distance. In other words, I see something you can't see. The prosperity of Babylon is in your hands. Their hope, their future, their shalom is your responsibility. I have a job for you to do. Has it ever occurred to you that Nebuchadnezzar didn't bring you to Babylon? Has it ever occurred to you that I sent you, I carried you there for Babylon? Has it ever occurred to you that I love Babylonians as much as I love Israelites? But your future, Israel? Well, that's my job. That's in my hands. And I just want you to trust me. I just want you to trust me. We're not much different than the exiles. This world, it's not our home. We were made for another world. And sometimes you can look around this world of ours and say, man, I can't wait to get out of this God-forsaken place. Broken and as hurting as it is. But what if, what if God sent his church here to make his son's prayer come true? That thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I wonder, could we do that? Could we seek the prosperity and the blessing and the shalom of the community we live in? Could we pray for it? Could we pray for the unreached? Could we pray for leaders, even those we disagree with? And I'd bet you disagreed with some politicians this week. What if the Lord sent you here to pray for them? Would we pray for our neighbors, even those we don't like? And I'll bet you've got some neighbors you decided to like a little less this week. The world needs a church that wants something for it and not from it. And friends... Birmingham needs a church that wants something for them and not from them. Um, I, I want to tell you about some, some dreams we've got to be that kind of church for Birmingham. Uh, we believe that the Lord is calling us um, to a big vision. And we're in the planning stages right now to launch um, a campaign probably the first of the year to build a brand new children's wing that will be for birth through pre-k and renovate our downstairs existing children's wing renovate our student center and renovate some of our exterior to make it more welcoming to uh, our our community and we thought long and hard about like what do we call this what is our vision for this and then it just hit us are we doing this just for us nope we got enough room for our children 
Are we doing this? No, we like it just fine. This is for our city. This is for our neighbors. So we're calling that the four campaign. Because we're all about our neighbors. Because we want to be about for Birmingham. We want to be about for reaching one more person, one more child, one more teenager, one more adult. We want to be about being for families who don't have a place to worship and need a place that will engage the next generation in faith with Jesus. But come on, you know this, you know this. We can have the prettiest building in town. We can have the best staff in America. We can have the best ministries that you will find in the kingdom. But it will not make a dent if we aren't people who are for Birmingham when we are outside these four walls. No one will want to come to church here if they don't want to hang out with the people here. Because though we feel like we need to build some buildings, four, more importantly, we need to be a people for our neighbors. And when we say at the end of service every week, let's be for Birmingham, we are inviting you to be for your community, because no one can be for Birmingham in your office, on your sports team, in your little league teams, at your school, in your neighborhood, but you. It is more than a hashtag. It is a movement. I don't mean just, would we just trust him? I just think about if the exiles had talked God into telling them what his plan was. Okay, 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 just come on, just tell us. Well, guys, I'm, I'm, it's going to take 70 years, two generations, but you're going to finally make it back to Jerusalem. You're going to finally make it back. You're going to rebuild Solomon's temple. You're going to rebuild the city. You are going to reestablish Jerusalem as the centerpiece of my presence in the world. It's going to be incredible. And listen, but the most important stone won't be the stones you build the temple with. The most important stone will be that little stone outside of town. You see that? Yeah, it looks like nothing. It looks like the side of a mountain. And that stone, a man named Joseph of Arimathea is going to buy it. He's going to dig a tomb into it. And one day, I want to tell you the story, they're going to put a rabbi from Nazareth inside that who was crucified by the Romans. Who are the Romans, God? Oh, they're worse than the Babylonians, but never mind that. And three days later, well, you guys wouldn't believe me if I told you. Would you just trust that while I do something in you, would you just trust that I'm going to do something through you that you could never imagine? Could we be a people for Birmingham and leave our futures in God's hands? I don't know about you, but I'm ready to invest a lifetime in it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for men and women, teens and children who gave 70 years to Babylon. Thank you for men and women and teens and children who have given 30 years for Birmingham. And our prayer, God, is that we'd give our lives to this. We have important things to do to be for our city. 
We have big dreams and visions to build buildings, to establish excellent ministries to reach people. But more than anything, God, we want to be a people for our city, for your purposes, for your kingdom, when we are far outside the walls of this place. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close out our time today with a song that we've been learning over this series. It's called Spirit of God. And it just says a word right at the beginning that I love. It says we pray for revival and we start on our knees. And I love that one of the things that Jeremiah spoke to the Israelites is I want you to pray for it. I don't think any of us would disagree that we need and want revival in our city, in our world, in our nation. And we start on our knees. We pray for people we disagree with, for people we don't know. So I want to invite you to stand and sing. If you want to come and kneel down front and sing, you're welcome to come do that. And let's ask for the Spirit of God to flow through us.